0: Hello, and welcome back to the album files. My name is not Abby Mickey. I'm Matt Deneath. Um, Abby Mickey is here today. She's just taking a, a brief hiatus from hosting duties. Abby, hi, how are you?
1: I love this already.
0: I was going to say, is this weird for you?
1: No, I love it. It's great.
0: We've also got an Ian Trelaw. Ian, hello. Yeah. Hi. Is this weird for you? Ah, oh, I mean, it's a little
2: unsettling, but I, I think that we've <laughs> debated amongst ourselves whether this is the right thing to do,
0: and we're completely split about whether it is. So here we are. So after that strong start, um, yeah. So Abby's album is uh, its Abby's album this week, so uh, I'm going to be taking the reins and hopefully not steering us off the road. Um, before we get to that album, Lana Del Rey's uh, major label debut, Born to Die, let's talk about what we've been listening to this week, or the last few weeks, because we're a couple of days late, aren't we? Because some of us were sick over the last little while. Ian, what have you been listening to?
2: The only person that hasn't been sick. Thank you. Uh <laughs> I have been listening to Danish or maybe Swedish band, I don't know, called Sundag Sundag, which in any language that is not Scandinavian would be Sunday, Sunday. (laughs) Um, So they have a kind of two-person instrumental thing and they have an album, which is good. I don't know how I came across them. It just sort of popped up on my Spotify recommendations. Um, Quite a bit of Tim Hecker over the last sort of two to three-week block. And another album, which I'm not going to tell you about now, uh, that I've been listening to a lot, because it's my pick for next uh, next week. So that's the main thing I've been listening to, but it's a, a mystery and will forever remain a mystery for the next. 45 minutes to an hour.
0: This is unprecedented. Normally you decide at the very last minute, don't you? You come with a list of five or six and freak out over the course of the episode before having an existential crisis.
2: Yeah, me and Abby have a very similar method in that respect, although she (laughs) she writes them down on a notepad. I just have them in in the the little black book of my mind and then panic about it, but
1: hold on a second last last episode you were giving me such a hard time. I feel like that is way more chaotic just having them in your brain at least I have some kind of like I can look at them they're they're external versus internal is way crazy It is
2: quite crazy, although in this case I'm going to uh, claim that i I'm going to take the moral high ground for this coming week because I heard a new album. <laughs> for the first time. And I was like, this is absolutely something that I want to talk about. And then I've listened to it about 10 times since then.
0: Such conviction. That's impressive. That. That's, yeah. <laughs>
2: I, I don't think that's ever happened before. Straight from my uh, my listening cue into your earbuds.
1: Very exciting.
0: I'm excited to hear what it is. Abby, what have you been listening to besides Taylor Swift's uh, 1989 reissue?
1: Well, first I want to know if you've listened to 1989 yet.
0: I have. We'll get to that. Oh.
1: Okay, exciting. Menacing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A a very awesome thing happened, and I was able to go see one of my favorite local Colorado bands live um, a few weeks ago, and that was pretty great. They just released a new album that I've been listening to a ton um, that I also don't want to mention because I want to pick it at some point, but that will not be for a while, so should I mention it?
0: What's the band, first of all?
1: The band is Heavy Diamond Ring, and I do believe that I forced you to listen to them whilst in France. And yeah, they're, they're phenomenal. They're a Colorado-based band. They just released an album called All Out of Angels. And uh, yeah, uh, they, the gig that I went to, they played the album in full, plus a couple of their earlier, earlier stuff. Um, and it was really, really great. And then they had another band that came on after that's another like, local-ish kind of band called Mama Magnolia and they were just amazing. They were so good and I I've been listening to a bit of their stuff. I think they're better live than their recordings because they just have so much fun with it. Like they have like two people that are um that play like a trombone and trumpet and then they have like um the guitarist. Like they f- go back and forth. The two of them have like battles like throughout the whole entire um, whole entire show. So it's way more fun to see in person. Plus they have two drummers and there's something about a band with two drummers that I just find so fascinating. So whilst I've not, I've not been loving their album that they have on streaming platforms, um, seeing them live was super cool. And I think there's a little bit of that that I can kind of listen to that and try to picture what I experienced at the gig in my head. Cause it's pretty rare. I get to go to live music. So yeah, I've been listening to that. Plus, I discovered a new band while surfing the internet called The Last Dinner Party. Um, that is British, like seven or six um British women who I think are s- maybe still in university and they've only released like four songs and they are so good. I sent you guys the one of the music videos that is just wild. And um got no response per usual. But <laughs> <laughs> just Kidding, (laughs) uh, I think their first album is coming out in February, maybe. But, um, I've been listening to those four songs that they have out like on repeat, really good.
0: What sort of genre is it?
1: It's like rock, indie rock. I don't know, it's fascinating, is what it is. There's a lot of like one of the songs, Our Lady of Mercy that I will throw on our Spotify playlist in case anyone did not know we have a Spotify playlist with each episode. I'll throw that song on there and it's it's one of those songs that like is one way and then all of a sudden it takes like a major turn. And that was the the music video that I sent you guys.
0: I feel like there's a long long list of stuff that you've sent us that we need to listen to. Sorry. And I feel Abby. bad about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> have have you guys listened to the Bleacher song yet?
0: Yes. I think so. Jesus
1: Christ, (laughs) man! It's so good. Have you not listened to it yet? Because I'm I'm
2: listening to bloody Lana Del Rey.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then I hope that this is, um, I I feel like I've been listening to a ton of music lately. I hope this intersects with you, Matt, but the new Jacob Collier song with uh, Shawn Mendes and Stormzy
0: is really good. I actually haven't listened to that yet. Um oh it's so good. I need to do that. He's just finished his the the fourth part in his um Jesse series of albums. he did a yeah four album series basically that he was supposed to do one every year for four years, and this last one's taken him three years to do and based on how ambitious he is, I think it's going to be ridiculously over the top but there's been some cool moments that have come out from it already, and I'm really excited to hear that um yeah, he seems to pull in some pretty talented people into his orbit. And uh, yeah, I'm keen to check out this track for sure. What sort of vibe is it? Because he's it sort of straddling a whole bunch of different things these days.
1: Man, there's a lot of vibe. There's a ton of vibe. <laughs> and I think that like Sean and Stormzy both bring their own vibe to it as well. Because mm. there's like some gospely feeling to it. But then like obviously like some hip hop feeling. And then whatever Sean Mendez is, he's just pop, I guess you would say. But like his kind of... romancey type sound Mm. yeah it's it's really fascinating i mean i basically just listened to it on repeat for like four hours when it came out
0: got some stuff to listen to that's great what about you yeah well i no, i did listen to the 1989 reissue um i didn't really enjoy it to be honest i Mm. yeah i don't know it's never been my favorite album of hers And there are some good songs on there, obviously, but it just doesn't really grab me like the others for some reason. Uh, And there was not really much here that had me wanting to come back. I think I listened to it once and was kind of happy with that. And that was enough for me. Some of the bonus tracks are okay. Is It Over Now is is good. I think the strongest of those from the vault tracks. I know you're a big fan of it and uh, the TikTok craze that's kind of emerged from it, but uh, as Abby mimes on camera. Um, <laughs> so that song is good and makes me want to l- listen to more Bleach's stuff because uh, I think as we talked about last time, it's very Bleach's adjacent. But yeah, I don't know. Just I don't know if it's that kind of Taylor Swift fatigue thing that Ian mentioned a few episodes back or, or if it's just the fact that this wasn't my favorite album and it didn't do enough to make me want to listen to it much more. I don't know. Sorry to disappoint you.
1: Interesting. We're That's we're so very sad.
2: disappointed.
0: About I'm open to um to being convinced that I need to listen to it again. If there are particular things I should listen out for, or that I've misinterpreted or whatever, or just I don't know. I think the bonus tracks on um, Speak Now is the most recent one, right? That reissue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the bonus tracks on that were better. I enjoyed those more. Definitely the ones from Red. I enjoyed more. Um. Yeah, it's not, there's nothing wrong with the album at all. It's just it didn't grab me enough to make me want to listen to it a bunch of times.
1: I mean, I feel like if if the original 1989 wasn't your favorite album and you weren't hooked by that one from the get-go, mm. that trying to convince you to, to go back and re-listen to this one and have a different take is a lost cause. Um, like, I'm totally... Yeah, I, I'm not at all surprised by your, your take on this. Um, and I'm also not not bummed about it. Cause I think I kind of anticipated that you wouldn't like this one as much as you've liked ones in the past and ones that will come out in the future, mm. but not Friday, like some were led to believe on the internet.
0: <laughs> yeah. I am looking forward to reputation. I think that'll be cool. Um, I, I do like that album more than I like 1989. I think if I go back and listen to the 1989 reissue, I'll probably just listen to the bonus tracks and try and spend some more time with those and get a feel for them. I just didn't feel like the, the re-records did much for me here but that's that's fine it's not really for me um what i did enjoy listening to was uh the sixth album by a, a Tazzy um pop rock emo punk group called uh luca Brasi. i don't know if you've come across them at all ian but no. they're kind of in that the whole triple j sphere big um triple j play them a lot but yeah they're just Just really good, really uh, in some ways kind of straight up and down pop punk rock kind of stuff, but just really good and really reminiscent of a couple of um, Melbourne bands that I really like, Um, Series and Slowly Slowly have that kind of similar emo or post-emo kind of feel to them and I don't know, got a bit of a soft spot for Aussie emo. Um, So really enjoy that. The album's called The World Don't Owe You Anything, um, yeah, Luca Brazzi out they Tassie. They're, they're really cool. And I think I sent this to you guys, but the new Dua Lipa song, Houdini, I quite like that. Um, I this know, interests Ian, you're me
2: because a- you, you have not been into Dua Lipa previously.
0: Yeah, I think, I think she's always just been fine to me, but I think this one kind of grabbed me for some reason. I, I wonder if it's because it's maybe a little darker or something. It's got a bit of a darker vibe to it than some of her other stuff. But also, the way it ends is really compelling. It's got this fascinating middle eight section with this different melody that then her and her producers have cleverly then overlaid the, the chorus vocal over this different section, which has the effect of reharmonizing the chorus in a really interesting way. And that caught my ear and, and made me want to listen to it again. And she did a really interesting interview that's on YouTube uh, for the Rolling Stone uh, YouTube channel where she's talking about the process of making this track and, um, how she made the album and the fact that she wrote 97 songs for this album or something that's coming up, which is an obscene amount of songs. Wow. Um, and yeah, I always enjoy listening to how people create their music. And I think that made me more interested in, in listening to the song again, and then being more excited for when the album comes out. So there's
2: a, there's a really good, uh, song exploder. I don't know if you know, song exploder podcast. There's a Song yeah. Exploder podcast episode with her from um, oh. a song on her last album, which is her sort of deconstructing how that was put together. I don't know if you've heard that, but...
0: I have, yeah. It's very good. Yeah.
2: yeah. I I think that when you see... When you listen to that podcast or you see her Tiny Desk concert, ding, 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 um, <laughs> you kind of get a, a deeper appreciation for how her music is a little bit more than just like glossy stuff.
0: Yeah. That's a really good point. I think on the surface, it is that very glossy, very manufactured, very plasticky pop in a, in a lot of ways. But then yeah, her. I really like her vibe and I really like her approach to songwriting and the way she's able to articulate why she makes the choices she does and what it all means to her mm. and the way she's able to convey her life experience through music. And I think that's really cool that it can elevate, uh, The music beyond something that's just, you know, something you listen to for three minutes or whatever. And Mm -hmm. we'll kind of touch on that a bit as we go through um, Born to Die as well. Because there's a couple of points that remind me of of that kind of thing. But on that note, Abby, do you want to tell us why you chose Lana Del Rey's album Born to Die for us to listen to over the past few weeks?
1: I would love to. I want to start with talking a bit about Lana Del Rey herself. Um her name is actually Elizabeth Woolridge Grant, and she grew up in New York City. She at a very young age she had um problems with alcohol, like 14, 15, and they sent her away to boarding school to try to like rehab her. Um and she's always had a weird infatuation with death and love as kind of intertwining properties. And I think that those two fun facts about her or let, not that super fun facts about her as a youth, kind of um, will come to play in her music a lot in later years. So that's why I wanted to include them. She's had a ton of different stage names from when she started making music in grade school and in college. Uh, she's been... She's gone by the name of Mae Jailer, Sparkle Jump Rope Queen, <laughs> and a couple others um, that are quite hilarious. Lizzie Grant was the one that she used very like early on when she was actually recording in 2007, 2008, her senior year of college. She was given ten thousand dollars for a recording deal. And she moved to a trailer park in New Jersey to work with David Kahn, who's a producer who's worked with Paul McCartney, Sublime, The Strokes, The Bangles, Stevie Nicks, like a ton of iconic musicians in the past. They released her first three track EP in 2011 uh, under the name Kill Kill. And at that point she was Lizzie Grant. But before releasing her first album, she changed her stage name to Lana Del Rey, at the time spelled R-A-Y, later spelled R-E-Y. She chose the name because at the time she was spending a lot of time in Miami and speaking a lot of Spanish. And she thought that Lana Del Rey seemed like a bit of glamour with some influence from who she was spending time with back then. Uh, It was also inspired by the actress Lana Turner and the Ford Del Rey sedan. Hilariously, <laughs> in between the time when she released the three-track EP in 2011 and when she eventually released video games and blue jeans on YouTube um, with self-made music videos, she changed her recording label and tried to buy back a original um, debut album titled Lana Del Rey early on which she's kept saying to this day that she will release someday and still hasn't but this in theory born to die was the first her debut album there is an album before that that exists somewhere in the lana del rey archives but is not out there on the internet as that i know of so although it's not her her debut album in theory it is her debut album Aslana Del Rey to the music industry and it started with Video Games and Blue Jeans which she released on YouTube. When she uploaded those songs to YouTube and switch recording companies she ma- got huge. I mean everyone was talking about her those two YouTube videos and I think a lot of it had to do with her general aesthetic and her voice and how different she was at the time. She released Born to Die in 2012 um, to mixed reviews. It debuted as number two on the Billboard 200 charts, and later in 2012, she released Paradise, and a joint Paradise Born to Die album that was doubly as long. Um, since then, she's released a handful of albums and worked on a bunch of film projects on her own. She's the mo- Her most successful album since Born to Die was probably Honeymoon, and Norman fucking Rockwell. The latter was called even more massive and majestic than anyone hoped for by Rolling Stone. Um, Norman fucking Rockwell was the first time Lana Del Rey worked with Jack Antonoff as well. And together they were nominated for album of the year <laughs> Song of the Year um, for the title track, Norman Fucking Rockwell. <laughs> they also made Violet bend backwards over the grass and a corresponding spoken word album, which we will talk about in Born to Die a bit. And Alpha, uh, Jack Antonoff also produced an audiobook for Lana Del Rey in 2020 which is wild. Um, Her most recent album, which is also a Jack Antonoff production, Did You Know There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard, was nominated for Album of the Year, Best Alternative Album, Song of the Year, and Best Alternative Music Performance at the Grammys this year or next year. Um, Her music has been labeled alt-pop, pop-rock, dream-pop, indie-pop, and psychedelic-rock. There's a cinematic quality to it from the very beginning that has made her stand out in a way that's some some like and some don't. I think she's very polarizing. Uh, she's influenced by pop, blues, and jazz, and l- artists like Andrew Lloyd Webber, Frank Sinatra, Bob Dylan Nirvana, and Elvis. And what I love about her, why I wanted to bring this album to you guys, is because I find her super emotive in her voice when she's singing. Um, at times you can hear her plead and picture her face and hear her smile as she sings. She's captivating in so many ways, and not only because of her music, but her whole aesthetic. Um, when Born to Die came out, I was in college and I had red hair and started wearing like more makeup and Dressing like her because I just thought she was like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ray, Del Rey's music has influenced artists like Billie Eilish, Olivia Rodrigo, Lord, Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, and Selena Gomez. And Billboard credited her as the catalyst for pop music that we have today. Um, female-led pop music that we have today. The Washington Post listed her as the only mu- musician on their decade of influence list. The... On Born to Die specifically, it was released in January 2012 and recorded mostly at Electric Lady Studios in New York, which is a very popular place for Taylor Swift. (laughs) There was a bunch of different singles off of the album, starting with video games in October 2011, Born to Die in December of that year, Blue Jeans March, in March of 2012, National Anthem came out in June of 2012, Summertime Sadness a little bit later, and then Dark Paradise in March of 2013. It's been called Sultry and Overstated Orchestral Pop, and prior to the album recording sessions, Lana Del Rey claimed that people weren't taking her seriously, she, so at this point in her career, she was experimenting with dropping her vocals so that she would stand out a little bit more among female artists. Since it's release, a lot of publications and critics have gone back and re-reviewed the album with higher scores because at the time it was received pretty poorly by the music industry Um, but like NME and Rolling Stone I think both have gone back and uh, re-reviewed it in the years since Um, at the end of the decade it was named on a ton of decade end lists and best album of the decade Uh, so I think All of that is why I wanted to bring this album to you guys, because for me, it was an album that I was just I couldn't get enough of at the time it came out. And I think every time I go back to it, there's some hits and misses, but overall, it brings me back to a time in my life that I never want to forget. And so I love that about this album. But I also think that Lana Del Rey is such a fascinating person and a fascinating artist and the way that she makes music. So I wanted to hear what you guys had to say That was a lot of talking
0: It was good talking Set the scene nicely Ian why I, don't you kick us off
2: I First of all I, I love the idea of a Abby Lana Del Rey era <laughs> <You're laughs> going to need to see some photos of that that's a, uh, That sounds wonderful It was <laughs> a lot
1: actually
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I was hoping that Matt would go first Because I don't want to be a Debbie Downer
0: <laughs> Okay I'll, I'll go then No 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 oh, no, no,
2: no, no. I've, I've played my hand oh no I so in in 2011 when Lana Del Rey was becoming a known property I was trying really hard to be a music journalist and it was before I was writing about bikes and I had a shitty little blog that nobody ever read but when video games came out there was so much discourse around Lana Del Rey that I spent a lot of time trying to sort of grapple with my feelings about what I was hearing and the song itself and the sort of cultural significance around it and the sort of deeper layers behind what that meant. So I I think that video games seem to have a lot of built in kind of, I don't want to say misogyny, not the, not the song itself, but the response to it. I I think that people uh, were kind of skeptical about her as an artist and felt that it was kind of contrived or manufactured or that it didn't feel like a genuine expression of an artistic, um, endeavor. It felt like a persona, like a, a performance, if that makes sense. Um, and I remember writing this article about, about that song where I was, I was kind of like, ah, oh, I, I like this song, but I also don't, don't know how much I feel is real in this performance. I, I kind of feel like it's a, a little bit contrived. So I listened to this album a bit when it came out in 2012. Um, didn't revisit it all that often. So it was, it was quite exciting to actually get a chance to go back to it. And I think that, My memories of it were kind of similar upon re-listening to it, especially on the first couple of listens. So I've probably listened to it like four or five times in preparation for this episode and enjoyed it more, the more time that I've spent with it. I never really buy the character, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. I, I think that it is a little bit of a performance and I, think it's a good performance. And I think that in the way that, you know, actors perform a role and they may not fully inhabit it, but you're like, oh, that that's a pleasant enough representation of, of what this is. But I think that it's so sort of steeped in that, in a particular historical era, it's very kind of 1950s, 1960s um, torch song kind of aesthetic. Um, Even the appearances around it, the music videos from what I remember of the music videos, the gender uh, dynamics and things like that. It's kind of set in this different time, which feels kind of uncomfortable and kind of uh, unfamiliar and doesn't feel like it's. A genuine reflection Of the person That's creating the art It's It feels like It's a performance Which isn't Necessarily a bad thing And I think that there are Lots of Lots of bands And lots of musicians That do that kind of thing But the Real Sort of I don't want to say death now because I, I don't hate this album. Like, I, <laughs> I I think that this is a fine album and I, I enjoy parts of it quite a lot, actually. And found myself wanting to come back and listen to it again, the closer we got to recording this. But I really fucking hate some of the production choices. Um, like <laughs> so much. And I really hated them at the time. And coming back to them now, I'm just like, oh, my God. Like twelve years Not ago, I'm—I—I I was right. Like I—I I believe that I my my ears back then when I was like twenty twenty. I don't know what is time something twenty something, and then my ears now feel the same way that I'm just like oh there are some things here that really 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 grate me, um, and I think Give it would be examples. much. Some examples, all of the yep. sort of hip hop uh, sort of like sampled kind of hey uh, things, which are <laughs> all over like pretty much every single song. And video games, which to me is one of the best album, best songs on the album, stands out because it's just this pristine kind of expression of it with these kind of harp bits in the background. And it it is a moment of tranquility between the hey hey, 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 <laughs> kind of stuff in the background. And it does it does sort of change depending on listening environment. When I was listening to it in headphones, um, it sounds a lot more obtrusive. When I was listening to it in the car, not so bad. I was listening to it in the car today, uh, driving to the shops with me and my three-year-old in the background. And we were listening to, uh, I think I was up to national anthem. Um, and I put that on and she's like, what's this? And she was really excited by it. And I was like, yeah, I'm listening to this through my three-year-old's ears and it's got these kind of sp- f- strings that sound like they're from that song, the Bittersweet Symphony by The Verb. And it uh, it has this great bridge and the the way it's kind of mixed for <laughs> in the car, you can't hear somebody shouting at you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I maybe it's just the listening environment that I was in, but... I still found some of the production choices really distracting. And I think that that's to the detriment of the songs themselves. I don't, I don't know whether it's a, you know, when you listen back to, I don't know, like Lincoln Park or something like that. And there's like that record scratch sound. Like a wall, um, <laughs> Can you do that again? Come
1: on. I'm really, I I knew exactly what you were talking about, but I'm just so glad that you illustrated
2: it. Well, I've also done the, hey, hey.
1: Um,
2: But those kind of production things that you listen to now and you're like, oh, that dates it to this era. And I don't know if that particular production choice dates it to a particular era here, but I listen to it and I'm like, oh, this is not something that I like and it's not something that uh, that I hear these days at least in the music that i listen to
0: it's interesting that that stuff was so prominent for you i like i'm very aware of it when i was listening to it but that kind of the background shouts and all the samples and stuff would just faded so far into the background for me i think the only point where i really noticed it was on the i think it's the opening track it's like the end section where there's a whole bunch of stuff layered on top of each other that gets really messy and gross but Mm. The rest of it didn't bother me nearly as much. It's interesting to me that that stood out so much for you.
2: Yeah, I I don't know why it is. Maybe it's like the repetition or maybe it's the contrast. Because like on that opening track, it's got these gorgeous kind of sweeping glamorous strings. It has this real feel of being from a different era, which kind of matches her aesthetic and matches the, the kind of vocal stylings. And then that I think really grates against that. I I think that it's kind of like sandpaper to the ears because it's, it doesn't match the, it's kind of like, yeah, everything feels kind of smooth and her vocals feel really smooth and kind of melodic and flowy and floaty and frictionless. Um, and then that comes in and it's just kind of like Kah! thing <laughs> stabbing you in the side. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is.
1: I want to, um, I want to touch on the, like, misogyny part that you mentioned in the beginning. Um, the, she has gotten into a little bit of trouble early on in her career, um, by, kind of fem- feminist people for being anti-feminist and kind of setting the music industry back in the aesthetic that she pushes and the the 1950s vibes. Um, and she's said in interviews that she obviously wasn't alive in the 1950s, but she's always been obsessed with that time period. Um, but ever since she kind of got called out for that in her music and in her music videos, um especially the album that came after this one um Ride I don't I think it's called Ride but the one of the songs is Ride and it's like a 10 minute long music video and it's fascinating as a piece of content um and since then she's leaned really heavily into being um, she's like been really supportive of like the Me Too movement for example when that was going on And she's given a lot of money to charities that support women who are in abusive relationships and stuff So she she's done a lot um, for charities and like philanthropy and stuff Since she got called out for for the misogynistic undertones of her work, early work
2: yeah, I mean, it is kind of troubling to me in some ways because it it does sort of aestheticize and idealize this kind of disempowered woman in a relationship. And uh, a lot of the lyrics are about her being drawn to, quote unquote, bad men and um, be...
1: You should watch the Ride music video. Because yeah? it is... <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll check it out I, I, I think that that kind of thing does feel Kind of otherworldly And kind of Increases the Feeling of It being a performance piece Rather than a genuine um, Personal Statement And I th- Yeah I, I think there's something about that That grates with me as much as I, I find that I find her a very interesting artist and I find her influence very interesting and her aesthetic interesting. And, um, yeah, I, I'm very curious by Lana, curious about Lana Dore without, uh, being able to say that I particularly in. Joy, her music. Although, listening to this, I enjoyed it more than I was expecting to.
1: I mean, I agree about some of the the choices made. Like... For the opening track, for example, you come in, and it's, like, an orchestra, and it's beautiful, and the first lyrics are, like, why? Who, me? And it's, like, why does that have to be there? Because you just go straight into the feet don't feel me now in her, like, low, sultry voice, and it would be beautiful, and they, I don't know why they've slapped, like two, three words before that had to start Mm. because it just could do without. And I mean, like National Anthem is one of the most iconic songs from this album and the music video in particular, I don't know why I was so obsessed with it back in 2012 because like now I listen to National Anthem and it's still one of my favorite songs in like the music of it, but like the lyrics are dumb. (laughs) (laughs) The lyrics are really dumb. Um, And I think... Uh, the whole like the, the whole music video with ASAP Rocky as JFK and Del Rey as like a Marilyn Monroe slash like Jackie Kennedy characters I don't know just an interesting choice um, I really but, liked it I thought and thought it was the sp- really good Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. Like I really loved it when it came out, but I still think that that song is, there's so much, it was so much better in my mind than when I, I feel like the more I listened to it, the more it graded on me. Cause I was like, these lyrics are really stupid. Um, and like, they are really like the patriarchy, like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like there are definitely songs that I, that I, now upon listening that I were, I was just like, uh, ah, this, this is terrible. Like off to the races. I feel like there's some fascinating choices made on that song. Um, I really dislike it, but there are still moments on it when I'm like, Hey, this is pretty cool. Like when she says, um, says it feels like heaven to him and is, her voice drops like several octaves and it's like just a fascinating listen. And I feel like for that one specifically, like you can hear a lot of reputation in that song like mm. i think that lana del rey's influence on taylor's re- Taylor Swift's reputation is you can really hear it in some of the songs on this album um and then the end of off to the races the orchestra bit at the end is great but the whole beginning of that song is just i could really do it the,
2: the end of that song is absolutely beautiful and the her vocal line at the end like wordless vocal where it's just like this higher register that is uh one of my favorite moments it's like the the best minute on the album I think um yeah interesting i I think that her <laughs> her vocal Matt
1: feels differently <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm really interested to hear what Matt thinks now but I, whilst we're on the topic because we won't come back to it i'm uh, I, I just want to get in that you talked about her sort of vocal performance and I think that there is this real interesting sort of split persona to a vocal performance where there's this kind of Mm -hmm. sultry lower register. And then this, um, kind of like breathy, coquettish upper register where it's kind of like trying to sound really sweet or cute or, or things like that kind of, uh, Marilyn Monroe, Mr. President, happy birthday kind of vibe. And I think that part of that is probably a performance and aesthetic choice. Um, but it does add an interesting dynamic to her her vocal performance, and "Off to the Races" in particular is is the song that best kind of typifies that. Do you
1: like? I mean, she says she said in an interview. Sorry, Matt. Go for it. <laughs> on the vocal, I was like, Matt's gonna lead, and I'm not gonna interrupt uh, interrupt him as much. <laughs> um, She's. She recently did an interview, actually, where she talked about recording "Snow on the Beach" on Taylor Swift's *Midnights* album, and she said in that interview that she has this ability to just mimic the people that she's around. Like her her vocal performance on this album. Like I, I get that she wanted to stand out by having a lower voice, and I think that she did. In a way, it did make her more appealing or at least like fascinating to the music industry and people at the time when this album came out um so I think that she the that she did that is probably one of the reasons we're talking about her right now and that she made it in the way that she did but she's an incredible singer like she she said in this interview that I was watching it I think last week I think it's it's in her it's all for her Grammy push um because she's nominated for all these Grammys for the next Grammys. But she the the original version of Snow on the Beach where no one could hear her, she's singing through the entire thing. Like she's under Taylor Swift's vocals for the entire song. And you just like she's so good that you just can't pick her out unless you're really listening for it. Because people after that came out demanded more Lana Del Rey, so Taylor released Snow on the Beach with more Lana Del Rey, featuring more <laughs> Lana Del Rey. And in that one, she has a full verse, but like without Taylor singing at the same time. But in the original song, she said, oh, no, no, I'm singing through the whole thing. I just have this ability to like <laughs> do uh, literally anything with my voice, sing at any any octave and she can just nail it, which is really, really impressive.
2: She's a chameleon. But who is she? Like she's just, a, she's just like a character. She's just like <laughs> doing a different series of roles
1: yeah but I don't have any problem with that like if you look at like I don't know Elton John like he he's playing a character fucking Matt Healy is always playing a character on stage and that's not who he is in real life and Taylor Swift is the same like you think she wears glittery bodysuits in real life no she has the best street style of anyone I've ever seen in real life like super awesome street style she's not wearing all that glitter and Louis Vuittons out there on the street like she Lana Del Rey's whole persona is just maybe maybe it's too much or maybe it's too overpowering or maybe it's too far from the truth but i i don't see any problem with that because there's so many artists that do that
0: yeah i think it's something it didn't bother me anywhere near as much as it bothers you either Ian. i I think (laughs) um which we can get to in a sec but this is something i think you've mentioned in a previous episode i'm trying to remember which artist it was that you felt like they were putting on an act (laughs) And it seems like that's something that, that you pick up more strongly than we do. I, I wonder what it is. Is it yeah, why does it why did you come away with that feeling, do you think, from this? Was there something in particular that made you feel that way? Uh yeah, I don't know.
1: Ian just Ian's a fan of authenticity. Yeah,
0: which is great. <laughs> he just
1: wants everyone to be their authentic selves.
2: <laughs> I I think that authenticity is important to me though, because I mm. I, I do think that If something doesn't ring true, then it, it sort of undermines the, not the integrity, but the emotional connection of the music. Like if, if somebody is not connecting with you authentically, emotionally, then you can't as easily can connect back with them.
0: But what is it that makes you feel like she's not being authentic in this? Uh, Is it the fact that she jumps all over the place into multiple different, um, Characters, I guess you'd say, or is there something else to it? I don't think you're wrong, by the way. I'm just, I'm just curious.
2: I don't know. Like it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to kind of interrogate because I, I think that some aspects of the persona ring true and some aspects of it are reflected in her lived experiences. Um, so she's had challenges in her life, uh, and seems to be drawn to particular types of people, and I think that that makes this feel more authentic maybe but I i I don't know I
0: yeah I don't know what maybe it it it's is. Maybe it's wrong for me to interrogate that. And I think if you're feeling it based on what you're hearing, then that's that's completely valid. And I, I, I'm not meaning to challenge that. I'm just curious I, if there's a particular part of it that makes it feel inauthentic to you.
2: I mean, the lyrical choices, yeah. to a particular
0: yeah.
2: extent, don't feel like it's something that could happen with somebody that's born in, like, 1985. Like, it, <laughs> it feels like, okay, you're wearing the costume of somebody that was born in the 1940s and it it just kind of has like a, um, you know, those people that wear those dresses and the guys wear their white t-shirts and they drive around in their Cadillacs and stuff. And it's just like, okay, you're not, you're not. I mean, there's a reason that when they
1: made the great Gatsby film, they picked her to sing the, like the movie's song. Yeah. Like, she fits so well with that whole
2: it's kind of that, that faded glamour kind of vibe. Yeah. Um I don't know. I I I think it is really really hard to get to the bottom of and I also kind of worry that would we be interrogating a male artist in the same well actually I would Mumford and Sons. Wait. <laughs>
0: Just, Just line them up out coats. of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Mumford and Sons, if you're listening. Just complete shot out of nowhere there for <laughs> Haven't mentioned them at all in this podcast once.
1: I really want to hear what... <laughs> yeah, Matt.
0: sorry. sorry. Um... <laughs> no, it's, it's quite okay. Um, unlike you guys, I, I'd had very limited exposure to lando Ray before. I think I'd never heard a full album of hers. I knew of her. But I didn't think I'd heard any of her songs. So, I was surprised when I listened to this that I knew a bunch of the songs. So, Video Games, obviously, Blue Jeans and Summertime Sadness I'd heard before. Although, weirdly, Summertime Sadness, I must have heard like a different edit of that or something. Or like a a remix or something.
2: Dance remix that I think might have won like the Triple J Hottest 100 or done very well a year or two after this album came out. Okay,
0: That explains it because this version was very different and I found it quite- jarring the way that the chorus goes from like half time to double time in the middle of it, which was not what I was used to and caught me off guard every single time. And I think that was just a product of not being used to it in that particular song. But anyway, I was more familiar with this stuff than I, than I was expecting to, which was yeah, a nice surprise. Um, We've talked a lot about the aesthetic of the album and I think that yeah, It really feels like there's a strong vibe to this album that I really wasn't expecting. And I think it the catalyst for me was watching the National Anthem video that you sent through, Abby. Because I hadn't seen that until you sent it through. And I think that just really put into context her aesthetic and the vibe she was going for with the music. And it kind of gave this album a different tone to what it had before. Um... I really liked the video. I thought it was really fun and, uh, it actually made me appreciate that song quite a lot more. Um, we've talked often on this podcast about the importance of opening songs. And I think, um, the way that the title track opens with that string section, we've already talked about it before, Abby, but that it's such a good start. And I, you know, you mentioned how there's, these three words that kind of get in the way of that. And then the, int- the start of the song and, I had a similar note, just that it felt like that nice orchestral start just was too short. It just felt like it was there, then it was gone, and then you do have a strings backing for a lot of the track, but it just didn't feel anywhere near as exciting as the start of it did, so that was kind of a disappointment, but also a strong track overall to start things off with. Um, I quite like her low vocal delivery. I, I found that quite interesting, and quite different, and... I'm sure it really did set her apart at the time. I don't have any of that context like you guys do to, to know where that fits, but I quite enjoyed that. Um, some some cool moments. National Anthem, the outro harmonies. There's some really nice harmonies there at the end that she does vocally that I really enjoyed. The There's a bridge on radio which has a really cool ascending section on that that I really liked. It's a really strong moment. We haven't talked about Carmen at all, what did you guys think of that song? I found it quite grating and I found her vocals quite pitchy at times in a strange kind of way, given how auto-tuned she is on the next track.
2: Kind of gives me the ick in, uh, in a yeah. way because it's, uh, I think, one of the more problematic from, like, a gender roles perspective because it's basically mm-hmm. the story of an underage prostitute. Uh, sorry, sex worker. Um, And it feels uncomfortable to listen to
1: (laughs) yeah i i agree i feel like this one there's like a haunting quality to it where if you kind of like weren't paying attention to the lyrics that i think i would find it a more interesting song but you throw the lyrics in there and i think it's a that's a skip for me for sure Mm.
0: the spoken word part in that is pretty ordinary for me as well also in the the final track i could really do without the spoken word interludes in national anthem the way she pronounces standing ovation makes me feel physically ill every time I hear it. The way she breaks it in down to like ovation in like six syllables is just offensive. Um, really didn't enjoy that, but somehow the song was still good, so that was cool. But yeah, I mentioned before that the vocals on Carmen are weirdly pitchy, and then Million Dollar Man, the very next track, is strongly auto-tuned, and that kind of stuff is really jarring for me. I don't need vocals to be perfect. I don't need them to be whatever, but the two of those back-to-back, quite strange to me, I thought. You guys talked about Off to the Races. I wrote down when I first heard it, as I was listening to the album the first time through, that this was one of my favorite songs on the album and that it would be with the, ha- the track that you guys hated the most on the album. That was my <laughs> prediction. Um... <laughs> I do think it's icky to listen to, and the fact that it's got uh, a line from Lolita in it as well is like also kind of gross, but um, <laughs> I I really like the track. I really like the swagger she has in it, the kind of um, the jaunty rhythm to it. It's kind of off-kilter and queasy at times, and there's a really nice uh, counterpoint to the really kind of beautiful melancholy that she has throughout the rest of the album and the strings outro you guys mentioned as well. But I really, really like that track and I was sure you guys would hate it. So I, I'm glad to hear that I was right on that.
1: <laughs> You're glad to hear you know <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I like the...
1: C- I said that that one sounds like Reputation and Reputation is your favorite Taylor Swift album. So... Mm, false. In a way. False.
0: I like Reputation. It's not my favorite album. <laughs> Maybe the reissue will, will, will knock it above uh, uh, folklore. I have anymore, zero hope. For no, that. it's not going to happen. Yeah, um, I think yeah. <laughs> Off to the races was one of my favorites. Video games is just a banger. So good. National anthem. I really liked. Um, this is what makes us girls is pretty strong as well. I think as a closer to the album, I think that wraps things up quite nicely. Um, but overall, I, I enjoyed it. I wasn't nearly as troubled by the uh, uh, anachronistic gender role stuff that we've talked about. Again, I think it probably comes back to something we've talked about a bunch, which, which is like I'm listening to stuff maybe on more of a surface level and don't dig into stuff as much as maybe I should, to be honest. But I kind of like that character that she's playing. I like the vibe of it. I like the, yeah, just the feel and the the emotion that it carries. And the different places she's able to take that. But I can definitely see that it's problematic. And I, yeah, certainly see why you find it inauthentic and and totally respect that for sure.
1: I feel like there's a lot of this that, like, I would... If she was to go back now and, like, re-record half of this album with Jack Antonoff as the producer, I feel like it would be such an amazing album. Like, because I feel like there's some seri- some really, really strong parts to it and like if jack was involved more in this because they work so well together that i think that it would just be yeah so good that'd be cool
0: yeah it's not a bad shout born
1: to die lana's version or born to die jack's version
0: (laughs) (laughs) have you guys heard any uh alt j british indie rock band
1: you're the second person to ask me that in a week and no i haven't but it's just f- fascinating that you're the second person asked me that in a week.
0: Go and have a listen to, I think it's their debut album, from the same year, 2012. The vocal delivery is very similar to a lot of what Lana Del Rey does here. Uh, and a couple of times I wrote down that they're very similar, very rem- reminiscent of each other. It's not meant to be a criticism at all, but just I, I had that thought. And um, Blue Jeans also feels like a Alt-J, Chris Isaac mashup, I wrote down. Um, but yeah, old Jay, check him out. It also reminds me of, uh, I
2: don't know if you know, a Canadian band called Metric. The singer of that, Emily Haynes, did a solo album, which is really great. Emily Haynes and the Soft Skeleton. And uh, some songs of it, Million Dollar Man in particular, remind me quite a bit of that. And, I really liked that album and I like this album less, but I uh, <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, okay, I, I recognize something in that there.
0: Abby, I'm curious if you watched much of um, live stuff from Lana Del Rey around this time, because I went back and watched a bunch of like Saturday Night Live stuff and some stuff from Glastonbury and found that it made me enjoy this album less. Like her vocals were quite weak.
1: Her live performances at this time were quite bad. Um, Saturday Night Live in particular, she got just torn to, sh- mm. torn to shreds for that one. Um, and rightfully so, I think, when you go back and watch it. I think that she's, um, I mean, but she was like a brand new singer. If you go back and you watch Taylor Swift performing at the Grammys in like 2012 or whenever it was, no, that was too early. No, that would have been right. In like what was 2009, I think she sang. I don't remember, but her first ever Grammys performance. Good God, she's bad! Like she cannot sing at all. But that's she's she was a new artist, and I think the same goes for Lana Del Rey. Mm. So I, if I'm gonna go watch any of her live performances, it's gonna be new stuff. Although she doesn't perform live very often. Okay. Um, and I think, yeah. It has a little bit to do with that, um, those early days and just getting ripped to shreds by the, the media.
0: Interesting. I didn't have any of that context and I was watching it and thinking, normally when I watch an artist's live stuff, it makes me want to listen to their stuff more, but this is actively harming my <laughs> impression of her, so I'm going to turn it off now. Um, yep. So I'll watch some of her more recent stuff, I think.
1: Yeah, the uh, the SNL performance, I think like that one did a lot of damage to the album itself as well um because there was a lot of reviews of that SNL performance that were like she needs to not be in the music industry.
0: <laughs> Yikes.
1: Um yeah, which I don't know if they would say about a man, but here we are. <laughs> At the time, I guess. I don't know. Things are different now. Or are, are they? are they? <laughs> I don't know. Question that's off. a time. That's a question for another episode. Yeah. <laughs> um I I want to run through, like, some of my favorite songs because I feel like this album has some really strong points and some really just terrible points. Um, Born to Die I loved, minus a couple little points. Blue Jeans, love it. Video Games, I love it. National Anthem, the lyrics are god-awful, but I love that song. Um, Dark Paradise is good, and then This is What Makes Us Girls is one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, I love that song so much. I'm not a fan of the spoken word stuff, but that song is so good. That I just don't care. I think that there's a lot on this album that is fine, like take it or leave it. But I probably wouldn't listen to it. Um, I would probably skip it if I was if I was listening to this like in passing, and that includes Carmen, Million Dollar Man, and Summertime Sadness. Actually, I'm not a huge fan of that song, and obviously, um, Off to the Races m- and Diet Mountain Dew. I don't yeah. like that song very much either. Yeah, skip, skip so, that one for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: What are your favorites, then? Other than um, uh, off to the races, obviously.
2: Off to the races actually has uh, three stars next to it. Wow! Because I I love the outro, the outro. Uh, video games national anthem, dark paradise, summertime sadness a bit, and yeah, those are the those are the ones for me. Matthew.
0: Yeah, like I said, Off to the Races and Video Games are my favorite national anthem as well. But I feel like actually a lot of these tracks grew on me as I listened to them. I had a bit of a gap of almost a week between my last listen and the previous listen. And in that time, I had a lot of these songs in my head, and listening to them again was really enjoyable. So I'd say this album grew on me and, uh, A lot of the tracks got better as they went along so like Dark Paradise and Radio I enjoyed more than I did earlier on for sure but if I had to pick my top three it would be uh, off the races video games and National Anthem probably in that order I'd say shall we score it give it a give it a grade Abby, why don't you kick us off as yeah. the the nominee or the nominator of this album?
1: Um, I'm going to give it a, a seven out of ten. Um, like I think it's a really great album. I love coming back to it, but there are definitely moments that just really don't work. I think overall, like it, if I was rating this album without knowing what kind of influence this has on music that I love now, then I would probably give it a 6 out of 10 or even lower. Um, Because having there be only like four songs on an entire album that I'm like, I love these four songs so much. But if you have eight other songs that you just don't really want to listen to, then you can't rate the album that high, right? But if I I go to kind of (laughs) the opposite of how I scored um the kendrick lamar album which was purely on feel if you look at what this album did for female artists um in pop i feel like yeah i i give it a seven out of ten
0: i'd give it a seven as well i think it's good it's solid it's not amazing but i was impressed with parts of it and would happily listen to it again and we'll probably go and listen to more of her stuff as a result so keen to your recommendations both of you on what I should listen to next. Where, where would you guys I go? I think
1: um, Norman fucking Rockwell and Honeymoon are both really good. Like, I've, I feel like as follow-ups to this, I would skip the album that came after this, although you should watch the Ride of Music video purely just for, I don't know, just to feel gross, you should watch it. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, Norman fucking Rockwell is quite good. I listened to, um, did you know there's a tunnel under Ocean Boulevard, like when it came I, out I once? I didn't know. And I was kind of like, nah. Tell me more. Is there a tunnel? <laughs> Funny guy. <laughs> Tom should just tell jokes back and forth. I feel like it would be a hilarious interaction. But I didn't love it at the time. I feel like I need to go back and listen to it again. Now that it's nominated for a Grammy, there's clearly something in it that I didn't see. Not that the Grammys are like, you know, the pinnacle of music, but still.
2: I I was listening to... Um, where What album is... Ah, Chemtrails Over the Country Club. Hmm. And I was familiar with the cover of the the title track by um, Hayley Mary, who is the singer of an Australian band called The Jezebels. She did a cover of that song for Triple J, uh, like a version, and it absolutely rips. And I listened to that song last night and I was like, ah. Oh, I know I, I and like this song and I expect that this will be good and i didn't like it at all so i i was i was kind of hoping that there'd be a little bit more edge and sort of grit to to some of her stuff and maybe i need to spend more time listening to more lana del rey but also i don't know if i want to um but i am also interested
1: she's not for everyone yeah i
2: mean i'm i'm interested in her Whenever, whenever she has a new album or something, then I will absolutely read the reviews because I'm, I think she's a really fascinating artist and I think her influence is really interesting. And I like her sound uh, or kind of what it represents more than the music itself. So anyway, uh, that's a, a long way of saying that it's a five out of 10 for me.
1: I just had a really good idea. You know how you wanted to be a music journalist and you had a blog? Yeah. What if we had an accompanying newsletter to go with this podcast? That'd be fun. Where we've reviewed like new music that came out and like there was like a little bit on our, the album of the week and stuff.
2: I don't hate it. I was thinking of doing, um, little music reviews on my Twitter, but then I don't know if I should be doing anything on Twitter these days.
1: Uh, No, you shouldn't probably. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Just an idea. I I feel like that would be. We all are writers, after all, in theory. Just bash
2: some words into Mailchimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the less Mailchimp
1: in my if, life,
0: the better. I think. To
1: <laughs> <least>. <laughs> I'll take. I'll take it. I'll do it. <laughs> no. Um, I'll we'll put that forth to the listeners. If if people who listen to this all like, I don't know, fifty of you, if you are interested in a <laughs> newsletter, let
0: us know. Yeah. Going out to ten inboxes every two weeks. I feel like
1: this weeks. is a yeah, <laughs> an I feel efficient like this use is a of our podcast. Time. I don't know why more people <laughs> don't listen to it. Anyway, um, yes, that was my idea. Thank you. I like
0: it. I like Ian, it. Ian, have yeah. you give it? Have you given a rating lower than five before, Ian? I don't I think, think actually so. you did for um, Jackson Jackson, right? Oh, okay. In the, <laughs> the episode that shall not be. I, ho- I hope I gave it lower than five. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
1: The, the episode that lost us more than half of our followers. Oh, wow.
0: It gets worse every time you, you explain it, Abby. The first few times you're like, oh, it wasn't too bad. A few people didn't listen. And the next it's time it was like, yeah, ocean. we lost some lost some people. And now it's like we've lost half of our listenership from that one episode.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no one
0: listening. It's just <laughs> no, us. Right. Us that's and right. our moms.
1: <laughs> just my mom. <laughs> um.
0: Ian, what are we listening to for the next two weeks? The suspense is killing me. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh,
2: seeing as frightened rabbit worked well for everyone,
1: well, <laughs> I, I got that album for my brother-in-law for Christmas. Oh, that's nice on vinyl. Yeah, oh. he's,
2: uh, he's chosen well. Um, I have gone back to Scotland for the the next album that we'll be listening to. It is an album by a band called There Will Be Fireworks. They're from Glasgow, and it is their newest album. It came out three-ish, four-ish weeks ago, quite, quite new, called Summer Moon. Um, It's their third album uh, over like a 15 year existence. Their first in 10 years. I like that both of you are just jotting, jotting things down in your notepads.
0: Uh (laughs) I have a habit of forgetting.
2: Normally, names. what happens is that, like, in about a week into the sort of two-week block, I just send a message in WhatsApp, and I'm just like, "Just
0: checking, what album are we listening to again? Have I been listening to the wrong album for the last week?" <laughs> hey,
1: at least you guys don't forget which album you picked. Like, I yeah,
0: that was that week. was concerning. <laughs> you were jet lagged. In your defence, Abby, so. I was
1: so jet lagged. I was so jet lagged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So,
2: so their their new album. I don't want to lead the witness and okay. give you much more than that, but it's, uh, it is something it, that you will listen to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to ask what genre is it? Cause I'm curious, but I also don't want to know. I want to go in completely fresh. So, okay. You're we'll okay both that, You Abby. can go in completely fresh.
1: I actually forgot to mention in the beginning, one other, one other bit of music that I've been listening to. Cause I got to go see another live performance while I was in Montana of a Scottish duo. That were fiddle, cello, combo. Whoa. Oh. And they were phenomenal. They were so good. It was like amazing. Do
0: you remember what they are called?
1: They have a couple albums. And then some of it is like, um, some of it is original and some of it is classic uh, Scottish music. But it's Natalie Hess and Alistair Fraser is the duo. And that's what they call themselves. Um, so I'll, I'll throw some of that in the... Spotify playlist as well. That's them. Oops. Sorry. It's Taylor Swift. That's, that's, well, this is <laughs> that a was Taylor podcast. Swift. <laughs>
0: We're seeing Abby's phone up close and uh, it accidentally switched to a photo of Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there she is. There's that girl. And Ian, you're seeing Paramore in a few days.
2: I'm seeing Paramore on Thursday, yes. I'm excited.
0: Great. Yeah. Look forward yeah. to your review on the next episode. I think it'll be good.
1: No, I don't want to hear a review because I'm seeing them in June and I don't want to know if they're bad.
0: Oh, they're
2: terrible. You'll hate her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a secret part of me that hopes that, like, by the time June rolls around, that Taylor Swift puts Griffin as her opener for Dublin.
2: It's possible. it's possible. She's
1: she's hyped her up on Instagram, so she I know she knows that she exists. Could happen. No, it, it's not going to happen. She already announced Paramore. A girl can. Dream. Oh, hang on.
2: Paramore is the support in Dublin. <laughs> Yeah, oh.
1: and in, and in um, Warsaw. Both of the tickets I have, both of them are Paramore. That is
2: a pretty good hmm. night. I don't have tickets to Taylor Swift, so I'm just going to see Paramore in a tennis centre. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what a tennis centre it is. The, the
2: finest Rob Laver on, under, the, under the sun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thank you for listening. We'll be back in, what, two weeks to talk about uh, There Will Be Fireworks? Uh, thank you for listening listen out for the spotify playlist that abby lovingly crafts each episode and uh thanks for listening catch you soon thanks gang